Sephora stores are everywhere you are. So just pop in when you need a brown lip to match your 90s playlist, a confidence boost before your interview, or a last-minute gift for mom's birthday. There's always a Sephora near you. Just pop in. Use our store locator to find your local Sephora or Sephora at Kohl's. How does that go to selling hundreds of shirts? I said, Mom, if you give me $1,200 to buy these sweatsuits, I promise I won't ask you for nothing else. She looked at me and told me that she didn't have it. She walked in like five minutes later and she dropped the check in my lap. I smiled and I said, I promise I'm going to pay you back. And I pay her back times 300 right now. It's only right that we greet you the right way. <laughs> Thank you. And we know the food trust is big in Philly. So we had a little speakeasy come just because you were here. <laughs> this is so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I was dropping up like, this is so Look cool. Look at this. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was just an invest fest. That was a magical moment. It was amazing. And so now all we got to do is hit, make history again. No pressure. I'm ready. You know, <laughs> the pressure is definitely on. <laughs> so Assets over liabilities. At all times. The major key in, in all areas of life. Milan Harris, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> the legendary. The legendary. Herself. Yes, yes. Billy's own. You know, for a long time, I thought your name was Milano. A lot of people call me Milano. Yeah. They call me Milano or Milano. Meek started calling me Milano. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, Milano Del Rouge. Say that correctly, right? Milano Dave Rouge. Dave Rouge. Dave yes. Rouge. He took Spanish. <laughs> I took French. Right, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> Milano De Rouge. Um, clothing brand started in Philly and then went worldwide. I think I heard about your clothing brand probably like three years ago um, on social media. Mm -hmm. I just saw a lot of people wearing it, like the, the sweatshirts and the t-shirts and all of that, and I didn't know what it was. And it was just like a buzz that had just grown real, real big. And then I got turned on to like, oh, this is actually who's behind the brand. So I'm like, okay, this is dope. Then we got an actually chance to connect. You just did a major event for us, InvestFest. Yeah. That was dope. Um, so thank you for doing that. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. That was one of the largest stages I've spoke on, and it was amazing. You did amazing. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Well, thank you. So I want to get into this. Uh, we're going to talk about your brand, um, all of the trials and tribulations, you know, how do you actually get closed, the whole thing. But before that, how does it start? How did you... Started from West Philly, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm from West Philly. Yeah, you're from West Philly. When I started my brand, I was living in Delaware County. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In Delaware. County. That's Upper Darby. It's, it's outside of Philadelphia. Outside oh, of Philadelphia. Oh, it's like the suburban area. The tri-state of it. Yeah. All right. Okay. So we're gonna go back to 2012. Yes. Maybe 2011, because that's yeah. probably what the, the the story gets thought of, right? Yeah. The actual vision for it. Mm-hmm. So let, you want to journey back? Let's journey back to that. All so right. where, where are we? Where are we at in life when we're coming up with this idea? So I'm in my classroom. I was in Delaware County Community College and I was in my macroeconomics class. I remember texting my sister and my four stepsisters. I was like, hey, let's start a t-shirt line and we can create shirts with sayings on it and we'll have a website. I'm like, one of you guys can talk about shoes, the other one can write about glasses and accessories because those are the things they each like individually. So we had to make money to start this. So we end up doing a fish fry. We all walked away with about like $300 a piece, but none of us invested into our vision. About a year later, I was doing hair. So I was a hairstylist. I was a mediocre hairstylist, but people only came to me. <laughs> I was. People only came to me because of the advice that I gave them. So one of my clients, she was about to move to Las Vegas and she was saying that she wished that I had a blog so that I can share the advice with her, even though she's in another state. Instantly that night, I went home and I Googled, what is a blog? Now this is 2012, so it wasn't really popular. I didn't know what it was. That night I made a blog because it was an online magazine and that's something that I always wanted to do. When I started my blog about three months later, I had about 100,000 views on it. So I started my blog and I only had 300 followers on Instagram. When I noticed that I had 100,000 views, it was as if I have an audience. So now I can sell them something. Now, this is interesting because, I, I mean, that part, I've, I've never heard that part of the story. So you're talking about 
the advice you're giving, is it, is it life advice that you had experienced or that you had heard from through your family and now you're passing it down to your clients? Because, you know, in a barbershop when people get in here, conversations always are spawned up and we talk about a lot of things, mostly the things that just stay in the barbershop and that's changing now. But so this is like the similar thing when you're doing someone's hair, people are like, yo, this girl knows a lot. Yeah, so I would give love advice, dating advice, motivational advice, fashion advice. I would give any advice that I knew, I would just share it. Cause I'm always big on sharing resources and the things that I've learned. So, and that's what I put into my blog. So my blog was formulated to give motivational advice, love advice, dating, fashion, and anything that I learned, I just wanted to share on my blog. And that's how I got over 100,000 views in three months. So once I got those views, that's when I decided to create my brand. I didn't know what I was gonna name it. And I started to think most designers name their clothing brands after themselves. Mm -hmm. So my real name, I never tell anybody my real name, I create, so let me tell you, take y'all back. In 2008, when I was in Lincoln University, I you created went, you went this. went to Lincoln? Yeah, you did? No, my sister did. Oh, are you, are you all happy? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were. Yeah, my, my sister went there too. <laughs> yeah, I went to Lincoln University and when I went there, I decided to create an alter ego for myself. You know, this was when Beyonce had Sasha Fierce. So I wanted to create a different persona for me. I grew up in the hood. so. A lot of the things and a lot of my energy was really negative. Like I was getting into a lot of fights. And when I started school, I really wanted to work on becoming a different person. So I created this alter ego, Mulan, and I got Rouge from the Mulan Rouge, the movie. Mm -hmm. So Mulan Rouge was my whole persona that I was just working to become a better person. So when it was time to make up the name for my brand, I Googled the Italian interpretation of Mulan Rouge and it was Milano Di Rouge. So. That's how I came up with the name. At the time when I was working on the logo, I was working on weekends as a home health aide for the mentally disabled. So I was doing here, I was going to community college and I was working as a home health aide on the weekends. I got fired from their job. So I was so sad. I felt like I was not supposed to be fired. It was crazy, but ultimately I know that it was really God making me move because if I was so comfortable at that job. That was an easy check for me. And if he didn't make me move, I probably still would have been here to this day. And Milano DeRouge probably would have never been here. So once I got fired, I remember I was on the computer working on my logo and the unemployment office called me and they were saying that my unemployment was denied. I was so sad. My mom was like, don't worry. If you try again next time, they'll approve it. Because most, like, most likely the second time you get a better chance of getting approved. I said, I'm not even going to worry about it. It just made me go that much harder into my brand. So I started researching and Googling everything. At the same time, I was in school for business. So all of the things that I was learning, I was applying to my brand. A lot of people in Philly had t-shirt lines at the time. So I remember asking them like, hey, how do you start a brand? I, I want to start my brand. Where do I get my shirts printed at? And no one really told me except for one person. And the one person that did tell me, he sent me to a retail space to get them printed. So, Typically, most people get them wholesale. So now you get in it at a fraction of the cost. So I had to pay a lot of money for my shirts. I only was able to afford two. I bought one, wore it, and I sold the other one. And when I started off, my shirts were $40. So everyone else's shirts in the city was $25. And I remember people were saying like, who do you think you is with a $40 shirt? They the same shirts as everybody else. And I'm like, it's Milano. That's the difference, it's Milano. But I started selling shirts out the trunk of my car. I would drive all around the tri-state area and put up on Instagram, hey, I'm selling shirts, text me and I'll meet you. And I would meet people in the gas station or a grocery store, like whatever was a safe space at the time and selling my shirts. Gas stations, usually the safest place. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yes. Now Lincoln, you know, brings back so many memories for me because when I was a little kid, my sister went to school there, so I used to drive with her to like take her to school. And I remember like going through like Reading, Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and Lancaster and the Amish country. And it was just so crazy for me coming from New York. And that was the first time I saw Amish people. So then great. they had these big shopping outlets in Reading, I think, right? Yeah. It was like, yeah, I remember. So when you said that, it just brought back so many different memories for me, but you became extremely popular. All right, so you start with two t-shirts, which mm -hmm. is, that's an amazing Two story. sweatshirts. Sweatshirts. Mm -hmm. So, all right, so you start with two sweatshirts. 
How many Instagram followers did you have at that time? I probably had like a thousand. All right. So you have a thousand followers. But how does that go to, you know, selling hundreds of shirts? I'm not even gonna talk about the store yet. But how did you when did you start to hit your stride where it was like, okay, this is this is coming in every single week, I'm making money every week? I was actually making money from the beginning. So them two shirts, I flipped them, flipped them and then I bought five and then I this episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. So done. So I was always selling out. I remember for three years, so from 2012 to 2015, I had the same routine. I remember going to go visit my dad. So my dad is in prison and he always hear good things about Milano. So I haven't seen him in a few years and I'm telling him, he's asking me all about it. And I'm like, dad, I'm making money, but I'm not seeing it. I'm always selling out. So he was like, explain to me your process. So I told him, I buy the shirts. When I buy the shirts, I got to go get them printed. I got to go get them tagged. And, and then we sell them. And he said, so how long does that take? I said, it takes about three weeks. So he said, well, that's, that's the problem. In those three weeks where you don't have any inventory, you don't have no money coming in. So you're just spending all the money that you made in those three weeks without no money coming in. And he said, the goal is to never sell out. So he's from the street. And he said, if he was ever out of product, then his customers will go somewhere else. So you never want to run out of product. And that was an aha moment for me because something as simple as that, for three years, I've been doing everything wrong. Like if I, was, if I knew that strategy, I would have been so much further. But that advice right there really allowed me to start scaling. Within that same time frame, probably a week later, I had my big fashion show. So in 2015, I was making money. It's just I wasn't really seeing a lot of my money. Because it was going back in. It was going right back in, and it was I was spending money in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. I had a big fashion show, and every year I start since I started Milano de Rouge, I would have a fashion show. But this year, I really wanted to put a lot of money and invest into a big show. So a lot of my money went to that show, and so three things happened in this short period of time. Mm-hmm. I had that big shit fashion show. A lot of my money went towards the show. That same week, I went through a breakup with my ex. And he was helping me. So whenever I was out of money, it was cool because I had a crutch. So he would pay my car note, my car insurance. So it was, I was really fine, you know? And we went through the breakup and I told him I'd rather struggle than to be in this relationship. So I don't mind starting over. So that was something I had to deal with. And then I had to ask my mom, for money because at this time all I had was shirts. So I was selling t-shirts and sweatshirts, but I was ready to scale. I wanted to go into sweatsuits. I asked her for $1,200. I said, mom, if you give me $1,200 to buy these sweatsuits, I promise I won't ask you for nothing else. She looked at me and told me that she didn't have it. So I sat on the stairs and she walked down like five minutes later and she dropped the check in my lap for $1,200. I smiled and I said, I promise I'm gonna pay you back. And I pay her back times 300 right now so (laughs) it's so important to invest in your kids but all of that happened around the same time and that really allowed me to grow I remember a few months later I had my ex had called me because I started traveling as I was scaling my company I started going back and forth to Los Angeles because I was looking to create going to cut and sew I was looking to do cut and sew and he would see that I was on the plane and he couldn't understand like who was funding my lifestyle right now. <laughs> he, he called me and said, who you messing with? Like, who, who are you dating them? Cause somebody gotta be paying for it. And I felt so good because <laughs> I really did it on my own. That strategy that my dad taught me of ne- never selling out, it helped me so much. I immediately implemented it as soon as he told me. And then that $1,200 that my mom gave me to invest in the sweatsuits, Every time I ordered something, I would just double the order and then I tripled the order and then I quadrupled the order. So when he said that, I didn't even want to prove him wrong, but it meant so good to me because I did it on my own, you know? And yeah. I had to start over, but it was a fresh start for me and it allowed me to see that I can do it. 
So you wrote up a term, cut and sew. What what is cut and sew? Cut and sew is when you get your when you design a product and you get it made from scratch. So you buy the fabric, you cut the fabric, and you take it to a manufacturer and they design the piece that you want. So before I would just buy in sweatshirts wholesale and t-shirts and putting my logo on it. I knew when I first started Milano de Rouge that I wanted to design a full-fledged clothing brand, but I wasn't afraid to start small. I only started with what I had. It's interesting because at no point in this story did you say that you went to school for design. No. You're not, you didn't go to FIT. I didn't hear anything. I heard I went to school for business, which makes you believe that business is rooted. Design is something that kind of came secondary or yeah. how does that work? So I'm not really a designer. I don't look at myself as a de designer. I am a businesswoman. I am the business behind fashion. I had to learn to design because I couldn't afford designers. Mm. So a little bit of things I just learned. I learned how to do my own graphics. I learned, I learned the basis of every position at my company, to be honest. But I couldn't afford designers, so I had to just do what I had to do. And I remember trying to draw up my idea because I had this vision for this jumpsuit in my head. It was our Venus and Mars jumpsuit. It was the first jumpsuit. It was the first cut and sew piece we made. I had this vision in my head, and I flew out to L.A., and I met with Armancy. And I'm trying to tell her, okay, this is what I see. I can't draw, but this is what I see. <laughs> and she ended up creating a, a technical design from it. And I took it back to Philly, and I gave it to my manufacturer, and I said, hey, can you make this? And the first sample, it wasn't the best, but I was so happy because I got to see my vision come to life for the first time. Yeah, who's, who's introducing you to all that, right? Because you're starting out selling out the trunk of your car, but at some point you're getting a manufacturer. Somebody's telling you, like, hey, there's somebody in LA you need to meet. Is somebody guiding through that, or are you using social media to find these people? Like, what was the source? So every time I went somewhere, I, I'm a good person, and I'm big on making relationships. So every place that I went, I ended up meeting someone, and they introduced me to someone else. So remember I told you that the kid sent me to the retail store? Mm -hmm. I was going there for probably like three months, and some guy said, yo, I see you keep spending your money here with them. Why don't you go wholesale? I said, what is wholesale? He was like, yo, you would save so much money. So he introduced me to someone that has a screen print shop. They do wholesale. So what I was paying for, one T-shirt, I could get six. So that was a good game changer for me. When I went there to that screen printer, I'm like, hey, do you got somebody that can sew on labels? Because I want my shirt to have my labels in, my label in it. He introduced me to some lady. Um, her name is Miriam, and she became my Philadelphia manufacturer. So she was put the label in my shirts. And at that time, I probably was getting like 200 shirts made at a time. And she watched me grow. She watched me grow from probably like 200 to 400 to 800. She watched me grow with my labels. So typically when you're doing cut and sew, it's minimums. So a lot of people don't want to work with you unless you can do like 300 minimums. But because she watched me grow with the t-shirts, she was willing to take that risk on me. And she, was, she allowed me to do like five jumpsuits at a time. And it helped me because I couldn't afford to really put so much money into something that I didn't know was going to sell. When I was in Los Angeles, I met Armancy. She still works with me to this day. She's our production manager. I met her in 2013. I had went to the Magic Show in Las Vegas. Uh, and she walked up, mind you, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I just was Googling, like, where should I be? And where, like, how to invest in myself. Yeah. She walked up to me, like, hey, Milan, I'm from New Jersey, and I love what you're doing. And if I can help you in any way, I go to FI, FITM. She go to FIDM? What is it, FITM? Yeah. She go there, and she was seeing it. She wanna help me with my brand. So I started flying out to Los Angeles meeting with her and she was teaching me all about technical design and the different things that I had no idea about. And I met a manufacturer out there. So I was starting to produce stuff in Los Angeles and in Philadelphia. Probably. So talk about the magic show. The magic show, man, <laughs> I don't know what I was doing here. I was walking around here. I had on these big hills because I didn't know it was a trade show. I didn't know what environment it was. I had on these really high Giuseppe Hills, these little shorts, and I was tired after walking around. I started meeting people and just getting their business cards, but I didn't utilize nearly anything from there, except for that relationship with Armancy, and it really helped me go to that next level. Yeah, so your, your dad taught you that lesson of never having enough product, right? You don't want to run out of product. And then merchandising is a fine balance, right? You don't want to have too much, then it's not moving. And so how do you know that to, I guess, mitigate that, that problem of like, I have too much, this isn't selling, now it's sitting on the shelf, now I have to discount it. Like, how did you manage that? So remember I told you I'm a businesswoman. 
Yes. So what I did was I looked at the numbers. A lot of the things that I sell, I sell every year. Like a lot of fashion designers, they focus on, oh, I'm not making this again. You know, they'll do a small quantity and they, they don't want to make it no more. They want to go into a new season. Me, whatever works, I'm going to stick with, with what works. As long as my customer want it, then I'll continue to make it. So a lot of the things that I've been making, I have my signature t-shirt since I started in 2012. Mm -hmm. So I would just triple and double. I would like go at my customer's pace. So they wanted it, I supplied the demand. I remember in 2018, I had my production manager and buyer and she was telling me, she was so excited. She said, hey, we made, I think, was it 3 million? Yeah, we made 3 million. I'm like, okay, if we made 3 million, we can make six. She told me that whatever we had in 30 days is sold out. I said, so order three months worth and see how we do it there. They're sold out. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. In 30 days. So I told her, I said, order for the year. She was like, are you serious? I said, yeah, I'm real serious. Order for the year. What's the worst that's going to happen? We have the same stuff every year. So I'm only doing this with our bestsellers, not with no new merchandise. I said, we have the same stuff every year. So when we ordered for the year, we sold that out in three months. So what I was doing was putting a cap on how much I can grow. Mm -hmm. And that allowed, that allowed me to see that there's really no limit. And I, I went hard. Like, I know I got this inventory. I'm a hustler. I have a hustler. <laughs> blood <laughs> running through my veins. I'm going to make sure I sell this, you know? If I got to give out a few shirts for free, I'm going to do that. Yeah. I'm going to promote on social media. I think a lot of people are scared to promote their services. Like, you want me to promote you, but you're not promoting you? So, this is all on a website, right? You don't have a store yet, right? No, I didn't have a store, but I had a... So, in 2018, yeah. But if we're going back to... I, I got my first store in 2016. So... All right, you got your first store in 2016? Yeah, I got my store in 2016. Okay. So talk about the process of getting your store. That was a tedious process. <laughs> so I never wanted a flagship store. The only reason why I got the store was because it was a demand for it. I had my warehouse in Philly where we would do fulfillment out of, and I had two staff on my team that would do deliveries. They would ride around the tri-state area like I was doing deliveries. Hand but, in hand? Yeah, because I had my warehouse at the time, and we offered people to come, we started charging for deliveries. So they would do either one. Once I decided to open up my store, that ended. No more coming to the warehouse, no more deliveries. You can only come to the store. So when I opened the store, it was such a process. Like I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Mostly everything I get myself into, I never know what I'm doing to be honest. I just figure it out as I go. But I said I want to do a store and I put my all into it. I had to go through zoning. It was such a process that I never expected, but it taught me so much about myself and just about business in general. It took about six months to finally open my store. I dealt with contractors. I dealt with racist landlord. It was like so much blood, sweat, and tears went into that, but it really helped build me. So I don't, I don't regret none of it. So one of the biggest things when you're building a flagship store is location. Location is location, important. Location, location, location. But you know what I learned? This is what, so I'm so big on location because that's what I learned in business. Yeah. But my accountant was like, yo, you have a warehouse in the worst neighborhood <laughs> in America. <laughs> I, we were in Kensington. I don't know if y'all know. I don't know if y'all see it on that show, but this is the worst neighborhood in America. It's so much drug. Where, Kensington. Where, what part of Philly? Um, it's like in the northeastern section. North, North Philly? But outside, because North Philly ain't that bad. Kensington is crazy. Like, it's Second. probably over there. It's, uh, I think it's North, like, I think oh, it's, no, we was driving through North Philly. It didn't look like the safest neighborhood. No, know. it's not the safest, but the, Kensington, they shooting up dope. Like, it's crazy. He said, if, he said, if you can bring people, if you got people coming to your warehouse in the craziest neighborhood in America, your store is an attraction. Wherever you go, they're going to come. Yeah. So I wasn't really worried about the location. I just wanted to make sure it was in a safe area. And 
after looking at a few places, I found a good place on Spring Garden Street, and it's a pretty nice area. We're in West Philly? It's in, like, the Center City section. Center City? So, all right. So you, you have the flagship, flagship store up and running, and you're still selling clothes on the website, right? Y yes. So what's the percentage of the amount of clothes that you're selling from the website, like not now, but like early on, from the website as opposed to the flagship store? So that's a great question. So in 2017, that's when I really started to look at, at that. I remember I was watching YouTube. So I'm enrolled in YouTube University. I learned so much from there. But I was watching YouTube and they was talking about sales goals. And at the time, I didn't have any sales goals. So I created a sales goal of $50,000 a month. Uh, sorry, a $30,000 a month. And I exceeded it and got 50000 But I started looking at my numbers. I was making about 80% in Philly versus 20% online. And because I was no longer in Philly, I was in LA, I'm like, I'm gonna spend my time working on building the website because that's the biggest store in the world. My e-com is the biggest store in the world. Mm -hmm. So by the end of the year, they flipped. That was reversed. Yeah, what, what were some of the things you did to, to, to flip it? I really focused on IT. I focused on online promotions and um, got my app. We would send out alerts on the app, here, shop here. Um, with the app, we started sending out daily motivation as well. So my app helped out a lot. A lot of the things that I truly enjoy, I kind of really tie into my brand. So I love motivation. Everything that I like to do with my blog, I incorporated in my app. Mm. So my app, a lot of people started downloading the app and I would just, hey, shop online, you know, if you shop, you'll get a discount. And because I was in Los Angeles, I would start to document my process even more. So I started to get a bigger audience outside of Philadelphia and that helped with my sales. So right now, what is it, like 90, 10, 90% online, 10% from the store? Probably 95, five. Mm. So is the flagship store just like from, for like a physical presence standpoint? Do you ever think of just not having a store? Because I'm sure it's a lot of work. You got overhead, you got it's employees. It's a lot of work. Do you, do you think that it still makes sense to have the flagship store? So in 2020, we closed when, with the pandemic. When the pandemic hit, it was, we were really scared. Um, but we closed, we got like, they gave us like probably like 45 minutes to close the store. We had to close oh, wow. instantly. And my, my sales team at the store, I told them that I'm gonna still pay them. I didn't know how long the pandemic will last. So I told them I'm gonna still pay them. And um, I want you guys to all go online. Like you, they all became my customer service team. Cause I'm like, we gonna build the online store even more. I don't think a store is necessary, but we do a lot with my store. We do a lot of giving back. And I like to be in touch with my community. So it allows me to have that staple, to have that presence and to build that impact within my city. So I don't think it's necessary. It's definitely way easier to go online. You don't got to worry about too much because <laughs> a store is a headache, you know? Yeah. Dealing with so many people and personalities and making sure that they understand your vision and have their customer service on point is it, a lot, you know? Right now we're at the point where I love my team so much. Like we have a really great store staff, our store manager, they're amazing. They come up with different ideas to make our customers feel included. So I, I'm happy with my decision to stay there, but it's, it's definitely had its challenges. So you, uh, you mentioned that the, the price point, uh, you know, when you were selling t-shirts, Everybody else is selling 25, you were selling them for 40. In your mind, were you thinking that I'm gonna have my customer prepared to pay that amount? Because if I have to bring it down at some point, they could, but I also know that they can afford it at this point. And so that strategy, is that how you saw that it was comfortable to make higher price points? Or what was the strategy behind that, figuring out the pricing? Well, the reason why I had to charge $40 was because I was paying retail price. Oh, okay. So it was just like God aligning it all so I could understand my worth. Mm. And the strategy behind the price points is because I spent a lot of money on my stuff. Like I, was, I put a lot of work into it. My shirt was $40 compared to someone else's. But when I first started, I was buying little business cards and getting them printed vertically, putting Milano de Rouge on it. I remember getting a hole puncher and getting a string and putting a little safety pin and then tying it to my shirt. I was trying to give them an experience. Mm -hmm. So I was always putting thought into it. My price point really 
I spend a lot of money on my clothes and I try to find the best quality. Like, have you ever experienced our Lux sweatsuits or sweatshirts? Um, I, I spoke to the CEO of the company and she was supposed to ship some stuff. <laughs> you didn't uh, receive it? We'll talk about that another time. Because well, no, we definitely <laughs> shipped it. I, I, I'm just I got to check the trinket because we definitely shipped it. You got it? I did. You didn't either? No. MG got his though. Shipped it to the wrong address. <laughs> did we ship it all to him? I didn't. I oh, didn't. I, I got to check. We, we, we tap, we'll tap in with him. Yeah, yeah I'm going to check because I'm like, where I is that stuff? Experienced. I like the language you said, have you experienced? Because it's an experience. Like if you feel it, it's it's everything. I really try to put everything that I love into my clothes. And like I said, I'm more of a businesswoman. So it's not really about style that is not like, I like good style, but I love quality. And we have like velour fleece inside of it. So it feels so good on your body. And I really started it. I decided to do that when I had my son. So when I had him, I ended up creating a baby and kids line. And I'm so big on what I buy for him. And I like luxury stuff for him. So I wanted to create a luxury experience all around. And that's what made me implement the velour line. And it feels so good. We make our blankets out of it, our bibs, everything. I think one of the, the unique things about your brand is that I feel like it's always been unisex, yeah. which is tough, right? For a female designer, African-American female designer to have men wearing your clothes. Hi everyone, Jazzy Bell here from Woman in Hip Hop Podcast. And if you're a fan of music, then be sure to check out and subscribe to Woman in Hip Hop Podcast, a show that focuses on the many talents and influences from women within the culture. And is brought to you exclusively by Revolt Podcast Network. Anchored in hip hop, powered by creators. I'm not sure like how popular it was. was how did you manage to be successful in that lane? Like I, I'm, I'm talking about every young man at probably 2015, 2016 was wearing your shirts. And at first I honestly thought it was an Italian designer because of how it was written. Right. And you said that you went for the Italian transportation for it. So, I mean, great marketing. Thank but you. How, how did you manage to, you know, tap into both demographics? So when I started Milano de Rouge in 2012, I didn't know of any unisex brands. But I look at myself like as a unisex type of style girl. So I will always wear my boyfriend's clothes. I will wear his sweatpants and then put on a heel and just make it sexy, you know? or I would wear his sweatshirts and his button-ups. It was just like the quality of men's clothes felt a little di bit different than women's. So I wanted to create a unisex brand just from that, from me loving to wear men's clothes. So how did it become like that popular? Cause like you said, especially, it, I, I don't know who, but it was a lot of rappers that was wearing it. Did you target rappers specifically? Like was that part of your marketing strategy or that just happened organically? No, I didn't target rappers. <laughs> I, I used to be DMing people. So when I first started, I don't care to DM people. I don't care if people tell me no, I don't care. I come from the bottom. Like what's the worst that's gonna happen? I either lose or I learn. So I would DM and message people like, hey, um, my brand, I have, I'm the owner of Milano de Rouge. Milano de Rouge represents making dreams reality. That is what you're doing. And I would like to send you a package to pay homage. If you're interested, please provide your size and shipping info. Some people responded, some people didn't. Some people took years to reply and, but yeah, I always did that. The first person to wear my clothes was Meek. And the second person was Keisha Gold. So I would just randomly put it out there. Mm -hmm. But prior to Meek or Keisha Cole wearing it, the customers was real big and supporting. So I will post them on my social media. That was a good strategy. And a lot of people don't want to post their customers, but me posting my customers because I was just so grateful for them, it really helped more customers shop with me. So that's really the thing because sometimes no matter who we're, I remember paying for a big influencer at the time it was a, a woman, paying for her to release this photo for me to post it. And I didn't make no money. I created a, a promo code with her name on it. I didn't make no money from her wearing it, you know? So sometimes it's good to have influencers and famous people in there, but the customer is, is equally as important. That's a fact. So, I mean, as you're scaling, this thing's going from 2012, 2015, you, you get the store. One of the things you mentioned is the team. And so, I mean, how are you building the team? Like, obviously you're starting, this, this is your vision, this is your baby but you have to have help, right? You can't grind out the, out, out the car anymore, right. right? You have people delivering, we gotta stop doing that. Now we got a factory. So how did you build out your team? So I remember in 2016, I wrote my last check to myself and put it in my Bible. 
And my goal was to build my team, to focus on building. I had about three or four employees at the time, but I really just wanted to continue to grow. When I first started, I was so scared to bring people in because Milano DeRouge is my baby. And I was so scared for people to see what I thought and my plans for it. But the first person I hired was a PR. Everything that I was afraid of happening, she did it. And I'm happy that she did it because it taught me a lesson early on. And it was like, it's okay to be hurt, you know? I wanna, I wanna keep, I wanted to keep certain things private. So it taught me to be private. It taught me to like only allow people to know what you want them to know, but it's okay to be hurt. Like look at building a team as a relationship. You, you gotten hurt before, you know, that didn't stop you from loving. So everything that I didn't want to happen, she did it. But within that lesson, it just taught me, okay, hiring is guessing and firing is knowing. Like instantly when I don't, <laughs> instantly when I feel something isn't right, like just let it go, just walk away. But I just continue to bring different people on my team. If they don't work, they don't work. But I'm really big on relationships. I'm really big on just because something didn't work out in that aspect, it doesn't mean that we had to hate each other. We can like agree to disagree and part ways because you gotta, you gotta watch the way you treat people because you never know when you're gonna need them or run back into them. So I'm big on it. So talk about fashion shows. You say you're doing fashion shows every year. How, how big was that for the growth of your brand? And why did you start doing fashion shows? So the fashion shows were really big for the growth of my brand because people in the city, we needed something fun to do. And I'm so big on entertainment. So my clothes is like basic. If you look at it, it's everyday basic pieces. But the fashion show, I was, it gives me an opportunity to really like show my creativity and bring more than just fashion to the scene. So my fashion shows, I remember my first fashion show, we had about 75 people. And then the next one, we had about 175. And then I did 800, like it just kept growing and like the city just was looking forward to this event because I put so much into my fashion shows. It's not just a fashion show where people just walk down the runway. I literally have entertainment from the minute you walk in to the end. I always have a poet. I love poetry. So I like for a poet to like make you feel the emotion as soon as you in the room, you know? I'll have someone do a dance. We'll tie in and have a video showing my process. You know how y'all had that video on Invest Fest? That intro video? We do stuff like that at our fashion show. We try to like, I try to like really give them an experience from the minute they walk in. Make sure y'all come to my. Uh, so I wanted, I was just well, going to lead to that. Yeah. So this year marks 10 years. So congratulations for that. Thank like you. most businesses don't make it past six months, but you got 10 years. So this Thank is you. the 10 year experience. And so like, what are we doing for this one? This is, this we is. We doing it big. That's what we doing. Like, oh my gosh, I'm not even like someone that even talk like that, but <laughs> I just, I put so much into this show. I put so much into just growing Milano de Rouge. This past, the past 10 years has, been a bunch of trial and error and just getting back up, wiping myself off and going again. This show is going to reflect that. This show is going to be motivation for people. I want them, when they come to my show, I want them to feel like if she did it, I can do it too. Like the only thing stopping me is me. My show, the, the name of it is The Dream Continues and I want you to be motivated. I want you to feel me. I want you to understand the story of Milano de Rouge. So when is it? November, November 11. 11. That's that's my actual anniversary. In Philly? Atlanta. It's going to be in Atlanta? Yeah. Oh, we definitely going to yep. go. Oh, if it was in Philly, you fry. No, 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 no. We'd be there, too. We'd be there, too. We'd be there, too. Philly, Philly. So I'm doing a weekend. I'm going to have a weekend, so. A whole experience. Yeah. Weekend, I'm going to do a fashion show, a gala, and I'm trying to think of something else fun because I want to do fun on Sunday. So we we got to swap because we I'll tell you off camera, but we're doing something very big in the fashion space very soon. And your presence is definitely needed if, if you're available. Definitely, let me know. All right, yeah. for sure. So talk about social media, because now you say you started at, I believe, 500 followers? 300. 300. Now you have 1.2 million? I think, or 1.1. Let's call it two. Yeah. All right. <laughs> sounds rounded. We can round it. I think it sounds good. So 1.2 million followers. That's a big jump. I know about growing a social media following and I know it's not easy. And people ask me all the time, like, what is your tips? How can I grow my social media? 
you, somebody that grew it from a couple hundred to millions, what did you do to grow your social media following and what are some tips that you can give people to grow their social media following? I think what really helped me grow my social media following is just me being transparent, but not naked. Like I showed them the process. I showed them that entrepreneurship isn't as glamorous as everybody think it is. Like I showed them the behind the scenes and I showed my journey over the past nine and a half years. I never deleted any photos. So if it looked like I got 20,000 photos, it's because I was just posting everything, every step of the way. And a lot of people, they dig what I'm doing. You know, they want to start. And them seeing me, people say I inspired them to do so much, not even just in fashion, but to go to nursing school, to go back to school. Like I share so much of my story. I remember one girl I was posting like, if you're watching this, this is your sign. I was telling my mom's story. My mom don't tell her story, but my mom, she had my sister at 15. She dropped out of high school. She ended up going back to, she ended up going back and getting her GED and she went to college to become a registered nurse. And I was telling my followers that because she made that sacrifice, it allowed me to dream. And I said, whoever is on my live right now, if you're listening to this, this is your sign. And then one girl, she messaged me earlier this year and she said, I'm a registered nurse. I just wanted you to, I just want to tell you that story that you shared, it made me go back to school and I'm a registered nurse. And she sent her, she sent her license. And I'm like, wow, like it meant so much to me. So I've been sharing and trying to inspire people the entire time. Yeah. So May 6, 2020, big day. Yeah, I had my son. It's my wife's birthday as well. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Really, Taurus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I knew I loved that energy. <laughs> <laughs> um, officially, Mom and Air Club. Yes. You're talking about inspiring, talking about giving back, talking about motivating parenthood and now businesswoman together. Talk about what, the, what, what, what your, your vision is for the Mom and Air Club. So I created the Mom and Air Club when I was pregnant. I was Googling and researching everything and all of the stuff that I was learning, I'm like, other women can definitely benefit from this knowledge. So I created the Mama Nair Club and I would just share all of the things that I've learned. So my baby is really responsible for the Mama Nair Club and I got to connect with so many dope women. I remember I put on my page on, um, on my social media and I had said, I wanna connect women that have I wanna connect moms that have with moms in need. I had put up a post and I said, whatever city you're in, please drop your city, drop the sex of your kid, drop their age, and drop what you have that you can give away. And if you're in that city, just message that person so that they can meet you. And I'm like, just make sure y'all meet somewhere safe. And so many women, they were even commenting on the page because they didn't care to be vulnerable and say that they needed. So many people connected just from their post and women were messaging me like, I had so much stuff that I didn't realize I had, and so many people were blessed just by that. So I love to use my platform for the greater good. My baby really, he inspired me so much. He just, just having him in 2020, like I already was making multi, I was already a multimillionaire by that time. I didn't have no ownership. Like I had my dream car, I got my G-Wagon, I'm living in Los Angeles, my favorite city. I got all of the material bags that I wanted, the jewelry, but I didn't have any ownership. And when he came along, I'm like, what can I give to him? Like, what can I leave him? And that conversation, that, from that thought I had in my mind, it just made me think like, all right, I gotta get a property. Like this money is no good in the bank. So I started investing into properties right there. So he really changed the game for me. When he first was born, I would always say, keys open doors, keys open doors. And that just became my whole slogan with every door I open. That's why I created that Keys Open Doors keychain. How's your real estate portfolio looking now? Like, are you actively investing into investment properties, like currently? Right now I'm setting my butt down. <laughs> <laughs> so, and 
a 15 month span, I ended up getting 12 investment properties. I had bought my, I got my first property, which was, which is being remodeled to be the Milano DeRouge store. And then I bought my mom and sister a property because I'm really big on creating generational wealth. I want to, I don't want them to need me for, for anything. I remember working with some wholesalers and they told me, they was like, let's make a goal to do six properties in one year. And I'm like, ain't no way we don't know six properties in one year. You crazy. I'll end up working with someone else and I, I done got 12 in 15 months. So on my son's first birthday, I gifted him a property and put it in his trust. So, and then I just bought a 21,000 square foot building that I'm so proud of. Congratulations. Thank you, I'm so proud of. That right there, I'm going to put so much, that's going to help me scale. That's going to help mm. me grow. So the, where's the properties at? It's in a, so all of my properties, those 12 investment properties, they're in Philadelphia, Norristown, and Ridley Park. How's that going for you? It's going good. So, I, so a lot of the tenants don't even know that I'm their landlord. I'm so private. I don't really, like, I didn't really that's do how, it for that's the attention. That's how you yeah, it. yeah, I don't want, yeah. So I have a property manager, so he handles everything. And so about six of them have tenants, the other ones are vacant. I have bought a, I bought six properties that's next to each other. Like row homes? Yeah. They were actually like, it's three triplexes and, and three duplexes. Mm. And they are um, mixed use. So it's commercial all at the bottom. Oh, nice. I got a great deal on those. So a wholesaler reached out and they told us that they had these six properties for sale. I think they were about 980 and 980,000. Yeah, six properties for 980,000? Yeah, but no, I not no. Let me tell you. Okay. So so my property manager, he went to go see them. He sent me a video of all of them. I saved them in my phone as my team. <laughs> Cuz I just felt like they were going to be mine. So he was like, "Hey, um, do you want to get them?" I'm like, "Yeah, tell them that I I give them for 680, not 980." And he was like, they never gonna go for that. So he called them, he was like, he called them and called me back. He said, yo, they were so insulted. I'm like, oh, well, I don't care. Like three days later, he called me, he said, yo, my line. I'm like, what? He's like, you never gonna believe this. I'm like, what? He said, bro, they, they gonna do 680 for all six of them. I'm like, what? I said, told you, that's the power of negotiating. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. And then a week later, we found out that there's gonna be 101 luxury unit apartment building built right across the street. So if I wouldn't have closed on that deal, I know the value. I know that was would have been way more, you know? Yeah. So God's timing was everything. That's incredible. I, I want to talk about the 21,000 square foot uh, commercial space because I don't know, watching it, I just feel so happy for you. Thank I think you. the first time you announced it, I was just like, yo, congratulations. <laughs> Thank like we, you so much. I mean, we don't, we see women doing it, but like to see how happy you are and understanding the work that went behind it, you know, we can feel nothing but like, admiration like that's that's incredible so Thank you. What, what's the vision for it so initially I got I, I purchased this I was really looking for for my warehouse I'm paying astronomical prices at the fulfillment center we're at right now and I'm like for all that I can just build my own warehouse so my goal was to get this space for my warehouse and to make it my headquarters because it's a 15,000 square feet of warehouse space and then the rest of it is office space. So I was gonna just utilize that for my offices and have my buyer, like have all of our team work out of there. After me, I had met with Emma. She's a um, co-founder and CEO of Good American. Mm -hmm. So I met with her and she's amazing by the way. I never had a mentor. So everything that I pretty much learned, I just had to learn through trial and error. And so I never really had no one that I can sit with that from the fashion industry that can just give me top tier advice. So I was telling her all of my plans and I told her, I said, hey, can you look at my org chart and tell me what you think is missing? So she looked at it and she instantly saw what was missing. And she said, wow, Milano, if you can do those numbers without this, I can imagine what you can do once you fill these positions. And she was like, what is your plan for your, your office? I was like telling her about the warehouse. She said, can I be honest with you? Like, do you mind if I be honest with you? Cause I know you came here for honesty. I said, yes, I want to hear it. I said, and I'm good at accepting constructive criticism. Like, I just want to learn. And she was like, I don't think the warehouse industry is where you want to go. What I'm hearing you tell me is just you are in a crappy deal with your fulfillment center and they're getting over, but you're not, the vision you have for your brand is not in the warehouse industry. Like, you need to do everything you're telling me you want to do and you need to create that space for that. And it was just confirmation because 
at InvestFest, Tyler Perry said, you got to plan for where, not where you at, but where you want to go. And I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going to do with my space. I'm going to have a design, a creative space, a design studio and production. So I'm going to do production. I'm going to manufacture all of the stuff that I get here domestically in LA. I'm a manufacturer at my location. I'm going to have a podcast. I'm going to do content creation and I'm going to create visuals. Like I love telling stories on my brand. So that's my goal now. You hear that? Podcast on the, in the future. <laughs> we know some guys. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about that later on. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So you said something earlier. You said uh, your clothes is uh, uh, like, like basic, kind of. I hope I'm not. No, 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 no. You good? Because that's what it is. It's basics for everybody. What you will wear on a regular day, and that's why we have so much success because everyday people wear. So like sweats. Mm -hmm. T-shirts, things of that nature. Yes, sweats, T-shirts, hoodies. Yo, in the beginning, I was putting my name on everything. Condoms. We were making everything, keychains, everything that safety you needed. Yeah. Safety first. Safe sex saves lives. <laughs> Safe sex saves lives. Very important, ladies and gentlemen. Public service announcement. Um, so, do you ever think of having a, a high-end brand, maybe for women or for men, like outside of the daily wear? Yeah, so I started incorporating that into Milano de Rouge now. So like we have different higher end pieces. This set that I have on them, this is like one of our higher end pieces. This is our sample from for our full collection. But so we have our basics, which is our best sellers. That's our bread and butter. But we do have different cool pieces. Like we have a denim collection. Like our denim, I don't know if y'all experienced that either, but our denim, our men's denim is sourced from Italy. So we have Italian denim, we get it manufactured in Los Angeles, and the quality is amazing. So we have different price points. Um, it just, I didn't separate the labels. Okay. So yeah, you wore something at InvestFest that was like a high-end sweater, like with a skirt. Yeah, yeah, it was, a, it was the button-up shirt. Yeah. yeah, that's not everyday. Yeah. So you mixed the everyday with the, with the high-end? Yeah. Okay. Because I try to design what I want to wear. So every day I work, I'm a husband. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. I wear a sweatsuit, like I, I'd be comfortable, right? But then when I want to get dressed and throw on some heels and I want to look good, I make stuff for that too. But right. it's all it's all in the same pot. You don't separate it. I don't separate it. Why not? Because so people have been telling me like, hey, can you make an extension to your brand? But I don't know. I think about it. It's just a lot more work. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're doing good. <laughs> you are. But, but once I get, no, huh? no, 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 that's not our slogan. If it's not broke, fix it anyway. If it's not that's, broke, yeah. fix it anyway. Yes. Okay. If it's not broke, fix it anyway. But you see what Emma said? She's like, this whole production piece is missing. Once we start doing that, mm -hmm. then I probably have more of a team to really focus on the different layers. Because I think that's definitely a good idea. What about collaboration or licensing? So that's that's my new goal. So before I'm so private and like I don't really try to share where, like my ideas and what I want, but I'm manifesting, I'm putting out there. I definitely want to do collaborations. And if it makes sense. Okay. It has to mutually make sense for both parties. And I want to put Milano de Rouge in stores. Like we did over 60 million in sales direct to consumer. So. Um, I know the possibilities yeah. are endless. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could see major retail knocking on the door. Yeah. It needs to be in there. What stores would you like to see it in? I would like to see our denim and sex, Neiman's or Nordstrom's for sure. Our sweatsuits, I would like to see it. Those are like the stores that I would like to see it in. Cause I know once people experience it. So all of our customers that wear our stuff now, they go to the website, like they, they go directly to the brand. But I know if people are in the stores and they don't know nothing about it and they just end up seeing the quality and the design, I know that they'll love it too, so. I love the word experience it. I really do. <laughs> it's an experience. <laughs> I, I, I feel left out now. I need to experience it. So what, who do you, who gives you inspiration in the fashion world? I'm, so 
like I said, I'm more of a businesswoman. So okay. I'm inspired by business people. Like you guys inspire me. I watch y'all stuff while I'm working. So well, that's that's extremely smart of you to do. <laughs> yeah. <First laughs> no. It says a lot about you as a person. She's very intelligent. No, extremely, look, let me tell y'all, really when I started in 2012, I made so many bad mistakes because I did not have financial literacy. So what you guys are doing is amazing. Like you're allowing people to go from, to skip so many steps, you know, to avoid making so many mistakes. So like what y'all doing for the community is amazing. I remember at InvestFest, uh, Keys was on stage and he was like this, somebody said this is like the Grammys. This is bigger than the Grammys because the Grammys never taught us nothing, you know? So. I salute y'all, like continue to keep going. Like I'm learning so much. Like when I be watching y'all stuff, I be Googling, like, okay, <laughs> let me write this word down and let me do this. So it's important. Appreciate I appreciate that. that. And Thank talking you. about getting back to the community, we spoke about the Mom in Air Club, but I know the Woman Air Club is something a little bit different, it's something that you're working on. You want, you want to tell people about that? Yeah, so I created the Woman Air Club in 2018. I told y'all I never had a mentor. So it was, it's like this unspoken thing against amongst women, especially in the fashion industry where we don't want to give each other advice. It's like we only think, we think that there's only enough room for one woman to win. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case. So with the Women Air Club, I created that to really help change the narrative. I'm from the hood, so a lot of people from the hood, they follow what I do and they join the different things I'm a part of. So I really wanted to focus on us. I created the Women Air Club and the first thing I did was I had a reciprocity retreat. A lot of bosses, Everyone come to us, everyone depend on us. We don't really have no one that we can just let our hair down with and just tell them, tell them how we feel because everybody's giving us their problems. So with the reciprocity retreat is a retreat for women bosses to get therapy. We have a therapist come, we have a chef come, we have a yoga nutritionist, um, massage therapist. We have a whole experience where we just pour it into ourselves so that when we go back out into the world, real world, we are rejuvenated. A lot of us didn't even never get therapy until we went to the Women Air Club. I seen so many strong women crying and just felt like the weight was lifted off of their shoulder as they were walking out of the therapist's office. So it was just amazing. And I just continue to have those retreats and we continue to pour it into each other. I remember in 2020, when the pandemic started, I went even harder with um, the Women Air Club online because we couldn't have our retreats. So I was just trying to share as much advice as I can with these women. And it was really needed because it's like, I'm sure, how many mentors do you have? Uh, not many. Oh, you didn't? No, not many. See, a lot of the guys that I know, they have so many mentors. They tell me about all of their mentors, like, oh, and none of the women, like, we don't say the same thing. Mm. So it was a little different yeah. for us. Yeah, that, that seems to be a common theme when we, we speak to female entrepreneurs, female businesswomen. That seems to be a common theme when we ask, like, who was your mentor? It's really like, I just kind of had to learn. Yeah. And that's why I think what you're doing is so important, because not only are you going through it, but you're, you're telling them the, the mistakes. Right, so now they don't have to make them, so they can get, it can be fast forward. And obviously you're giving back in a, a, a multiple ways, so yeah. it, it's super impressive what you're doing. Thank you, and I create, so what I did was I created mentors in my head. Like Oprah is my mentor <laughs> in my head, Beyonce was my mentor in my head. I created that whole term for myself because no one really wanted to help. So it was like, okay, I'll just have a mentor in my head. Emma became my mentor in my head. And I got to meet her in real life, so it was amazing. Yeah, well that's one of the good things, like when we created this platform, what it has become is kind of a form of mentorship. Yeah. Where you don't necessarily have to know somebody to learn from them. Right. So you can watch the episode and now you can actually learn from them. And nine times out of 10, you could relate to them because they're speaking the same language. They're from the same neighborhoods type situation. So now it's like when somebody watches you speak, what you just said, a mentor in the head, like you're gonna be mentors yeah. for men and women that's trying to figure it out in, in the clothing brand and I feel like that's something that's extremely important as far as education is concerned. Like, you know, it's one thing to entertain somebody, but it's a whole different level of appreciation when you can educate somebody. Right. So, you know, that's why we appreciate like the entrepreneurs when they come on and tell their, tell their story. Cause it's not just talking. It's not just the interview. It's actually a form of education. Yeah. And it's real life education. It's not just like theories based on, you know, supply and demand charts that you learn in college. Like, this is like real life trials and tribulations, like what somebody has actually done. So that's extremely beneficial. And that's something that, you know, people can watch and actually implement in real time. Right. 
So thank you for coming. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So before we wrap, next five years, ten years, what's on your vision board? What do you see for yourself, and what do you see for your company in the next five to ten years? The next five. Well, let me tell you about my baby. The <laughs> next five to ten years, he's on payroll right now. So your son? Yeah. So he is <laughs> what's, our what's fit that? model. So oh. you know, you know, it, as a parent, if you have a business. If your kid has a legal role in your company that they can legally do, yep. they can get paid up to $12,000 a year for it. And it's deductible for you and tax-free for them. Yep. So my son is our fit model. He fits everything that we make prior to putting in production. So he gets paid for that. And I also set him up at IRA. So uh, he gets, because he has income, yeah. I can get him $6,000 every year to go towards his retirement plan. But my goal for czar is to create a learning kit for him so i'm working since february we've been working on flashcards um with abcs your shapes your um animals colors because before the age of uh, 16 months my son knew how to count to 20. he knew his abcs he knew his shapes and his colors so i really want to focus on um, his learning kit and allowing him to continue to build some generational wealth as well as work on his second book. Um, and for myself, I just plan on continuing to pay it forward. I'm working on creating a mentorship for Milano de Rouge, for Women Air Club. And I am, I wanna go into a podcast and really starting to create more stories. I know when the real life came, like all of these reels, it made me like really focus on creating fast, quick content just for the internet. But before I was really focused on using Milano de Rouge to tell stories. And I wanna go back into that. So that's something I'm working on. My fashion show and just continuing to elevate the brand. And maybe get into a relationship. Maybe, <laughs> maybe focus on dating. Perhaps. Earn your love. Earn your love. <laughs> oh, I like that. Y'all should let me host. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> Well, thank you for coming. This was a very, very dope conversation. Thank you for having me. Long overdue, but everything happens at the right time. Absolutely. So um, thank you. And I'm sure we'll be doing a bunch of stuff in the future. You did Invest Fest. That was legendary. So I'm sure we got a lot of legendary moments to make in the future. I mean, that's all we make. (laughs) Very fitting. It's extremely important. Yep. For sure. So Let's get it. Yes. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Chili Zone. A wrap (laughs) on the set. Yo, y'all got to do better than that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was dope. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Salute, salute. So the name of it is called College Boy because, so when I first came out to Los Angeles, right, his his water ice, he had water ice trucks. Those trucks was doing so well. Angelina Jolie, everybody was, every, all of these famous people was going to his truck. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, once I make it with Milano, I want to create a cheesesteak truck out here because nobody got cheesesteaks. In 2020, they text me, he texted me like, yo, you always talking about a cheesesteak. Do you want to be my partner? He had all of the plan, he had everything laid out. So he named it College Boy Cheesesteak. His brother's Instagram name was College Boy Cats. So he was so proud of the fact that he was in school and doing good and he passed away mm-hmm. like three days before his graduation. So they named this as a homage to his brother. His brother died at the same hospital that his mom worked at. His mom was a nurse. And she never went back to work. This is his mom. Hey, y'all. So, who's going to try it, Kyle? I'm definitely trying. Okay. Right, I'm going to make my cheese seat. I do. I'm going to go on a truck. You're going to go in there and make it. I'm going to make mine. I, I want to see the process. You want to see it? Yeah, yeah I'm going to show you. Yeah. I'm always getting in the trenches. Listen, I told y'all, I play any position on my team that it takes for us to win. So, I roll up my sleeve when I got to. All right, so y'all know that I can't cook, right? <laughs> but Let's start there. one thing I can do oh, is make a cheesesteak. I took lessons from the best of the best in Philly. All right? So come check me out. Yeah, okay. man, the real Philly way. To make it authentic, it got to come from somebody from Philly. She is that. And so we're going to have a Philly cheesesteak the right way in L.A. Very important. So look, I became a master rapper when I was working at Taco Bell. College boy Rashad, <laughs> your order is ready for pickup. College boy Troy. Oh, perfect. Let me perfect. know how you like it. Oh, I'm gonna let you know right now. <laughs> Y'all, the rule of a cheesesteak, oh it gotta be sloppy, okay? It's okay to eat a cheesesteak and have a little bit of mayo or something dripping. Allegedly. 
allegedly. Oh boy. This is the best Philly cheesesteak experience that you're gonna get outside of Philadelphia. Me and Troy are gonna be the official taste testers. Mitchell, yeah. come over here. It's family, it's family vibes, but we're gonna be honest. Be honest. We're gonna be honest. Listen, honesty is a must. Gonna do it. I'm going for it right now. Look at that cheese. Did you see that cheese? You see that? <laughs> Look, Danny said it's delicious. That bite tastes like love. <laughs> Definitely, like my man, Nacho Banger said, one bite tastes like love. I approve it. It's approved by me, and I'm a cheesesteak connoisseur. <laughs> so, if I say it's official, it's official. I stamp it. <laughs> <laughs> It's official. Hello, Hello. Hello. Gotta keep It's a good job. Hello. Hey, it's Troy and Rashad from Assets Over Liabilities. This episode's word: capital. This is the Asset Journal, brought to you by Ally. Capital is a broad term that can describe anything that confers value or benefit to its owners, such as a factory and its machinery, intellectual property like patents, or the financial assets of a business or an individual. Often in our community, we refer to the capital as the amount of money an individual may have. However, capital is much bigger than just money you have. Anything that adds value to its owner can be counted towards capital. For example, if you own a vending machine, not only does that money it makes count towards your capital, but the actual vending machine's value itself does also. Only here on Revolt. Hey man, it's your boy Shard. It's your boy G Downs. Here from Bad Speakers Podcast. If you're a fan of Bad Speaker Podcast, then be sure to check and subscribe to Bad Speakers Podcast. A show that covers interviews, music, hip-hop, sex, barbershop talk, anything that you want from the culture and podcast. And it's brought to you by exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip-hop, powered by creators. Hey man, if you want that real, tune in to Bad Speakers Podcast. Uncut, unadulterated, real. Hip-hop barbershop talk.